God, thank you for that reminder that you've been in control all along. You're, gonna, you're still in control and you're going to continue to be in control. You're the beginning, you're the end, you are everything in between. And God, I just pray that more than anything, that during our time together as the church today, that you would be just reinforcing this idea that you are sovereign, you are taking care of these things, you are in control, and, and we, we don't need to try to get in the way. We don't need to try to, 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 to fix problems for you or to figure out, how am I going to make this work? Because God, we know that, that you've got this. You're in control. You're taking care of this. So God, I just pray that you would highlight yourself, you'd elevate yourself, you'd bring glory to yourself during our time together today. That we would, we would truly believe you to be the beginning, the end, everything. God, make much of yourself. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. You can start turning to Matthew chapter 16. All right, so uh, it, it, it works, though, if my iPad dies, because last week I didn't think I had a sermon either, and I was afraid that I was going to have to make something up. Like, I went on this, this huge rant at the beginning about how I had no idea what God was going to do, and all of a sudden, by the end, I was like, oh, I guess, I guess the Holy Spirit had a sermon for us. I guess he had a message for us, because he gave me some words, and by the time I went back and thought through all that I said, he actually made better sense than what I thought I was going to make. Right, which is good because it, it, it reminded me yet again that that when we're up here preaching or sorry Nick, I'm gonna say that you don't matter, but when Nick's up here leading or whatever, it's really not about us. Right? We are just up here willingly serving, hopefully. That's where we should be. And we're just being we just constantly need to be reminded as much effort as we put into this, it really doesn't matter if the Holy Spirit's not in it. If Jesus isn't at work in the church, kind of giving us the words to say, the words to sing, the, the emotion to feel when we hear the truth behind these words, that sort of thing. And, and every time that I come into a sermon where I'm like, I don't know what I've got today. I don't know that this is going to come together. God, again, kind of, you know, th this, used to, this used to be me when I was a kid. If I, I don't remember what it was. I think it's if I'd ask what or something like that. My parents would bit me. They'd just kind of, you know, hit me in the back of the head a little bit just to remind me you said that thing again that we've asked you not to say over and over and over and over and over and over again. But I kind of feel like sometimes God's just like hitting me in the back of the head. Hey, 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 I got this. Quit worrying. Quit freaking out. But it seems like he has to keep kind of reminding me over and over and over again that really he is going to take care of this. And that kind of seems to be the way that Jesus continues to interact with two specific crowds. Uh, one crowd are the Pharisees and the Sanchees, the religious people, the religious elite people that have been following around trying to catch him in some sort of sin so that they could, they could condemn him because they don't like the message that he's giving. And they are constantly missing the point behind what he's doing. And he's constantly having to remind them, look guys, this is really why I'm here. And this is really where you guys have gotten off track. But at the same time, he's having the, a very similar conversation with these guys that he's called around him, all of his disciples who are following him, who believe him, who, who are trying to do something to please him, who are trying to understand what it is that he wants from them. But at the same time, they seem to constantly be missing the point behind the things that he's teaching them to do or that he's asking them to do. And he's constantly having to remind them, guys, please, I just want you to understand that. 
And we're going to see two great examples of that today in Matthew chapter 16. You, if you haven't turned there, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 16. It will take me just a second because I didn't save my place before. So if you're not there yet, you still have time. Uh, Matthew chapter 16 is a really important chapter in the book of Matthew. It's actually one that I was really excited when I saw that I was going to get to be the one to preach through it because this is like a pivotal place in Jesus' ministry. And we've said this, we've kind of been implying this for a little while, but, but up to this point, most of Jesus' ministry has been to kind of demonstrate who he is as the Messiah to a majority of the people in the region and try to say, I'm here, these things are happening, lots of big healings, and we've seen him feeding five and 10,000 people at a time, and we've seen all of these amazing, miraculous things. And most of this first half of his ministry has really been focused on kind of getting the word out that he's there. But now, what we're going to see in Matthew chapter 16, and we're really going to see it today, is, is he's going to change his focus away from the crowds, away from the multitudes of people who've been following him, away from the, the big um, flashy shows of his power, and he's really going to focus in on these 12 guys that he called out, that he's going to eventually um, give the authority to kind of govern the church once he leaves. So he's going to spend the rest of his ministry primarily focused on building these guys up and preparing them for ministry. And we're going to see that shift today. So if you're there, go ahead and turn with me. Matthew chapter 16, I'm going to read verses 1 through 12. <clears throat> and the Pharisees and Sadducees came, and to test him, they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. He answered them, When it is evening, you say, It will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be stormy today, for the sky is red and threatening. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. So he left them and departed. When the disciples reached the other side, they had forgotten to bring any bread. Jesus said to them, Watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And they began discussing it among themselves, saying, We brought no bread. But Jesus, aware of this, said, O oh, you of little faith, why are you discussing among yourselves the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive, do you not remember the five loaves or for the five thousand or how many baskets you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the four thousand and how many baskets you gathered? How is it that you fail to understand that I did not speak about bread? Beware the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Then they understood that he did not tell them to, be, to beware of the leaven of bread, but the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. So, there are a couple of different things here. Um, the first thing I really want to focus on is this interaction that he has with the Pharisees and the Sadducees because they come up to him and they say, if you really are who you say they, you are, prove it. Show us something. Demonstrate your power to us so that we can really know. And, and, it, and it seems like they're trying to approach him in a way, maybe if we approach him as though we're ready to believe. We're going to accept this. We're going we're to follow him. He'll do something. Now, what we know of the Pharisees and the Sadducees is their hearts are not for Jesus. They're not after him. They're not really trying to, to figure out what it is that he would have them do so that they can pursue him and have their hearts changed. We've seen that in them. 
What they're really trying to do is they're trying to trap him. They're trying to get him to do something that they could say, see, this guy's a sinner. You guys should, should, should flee from him. You should, you should be afraid of him. You should not chase after him. And more what's happening here is an interaction not too unlike when Jesus had been fasting in the desert for 40 days and Satan comes up asking him to demonstrate his power. Sure, Jesus could perform a sign. When, when tempted by Satan and Satan says, hey, you're hungry, why don't you make some bread? You're hungry, why don't you eat something? Or hey, I can, I can give you this whole world. You don't have to go through any of the trial, any of the pain. You don't have to suffer through all the things that you know you are destined for. I can save you from that. All you have to do is worship me. Or, or he says, why don't you just jump off this high place and the angels will catch you, right? These are the things that he's saying. It wouldn't be sinful for Jesus to eat. It wouldn't be sinful for Jesus to trust that God would protect him. But what Jesus understood was that he was being tempted to do something that he did not need to do. He, he felt that God was going to sustain him, and he knew that God had a more perfect plan for how to save and reconcile the world to himself in that moment. And it's a very similar kind of interaction that the Pharisees and the Sadducees are having with Jesus at this moment. They're kind of walking up and saying, We've been difficult for you to deal with. You're tired of interacting with us. Perhaps if you'll just do this one thing, if you'll perform this act, do this sign, you know, do something that, that we can see, maybe we'll follow you. Maybe we'll finally understand who you are. And Jesus understands that this is not the purpose of why he's here. He's not here just to perform flashy things so that people are amazed by his power and they're attracted to the power that he has. Because, because all along, like we've said, the people were expecting when the Messiah came that he would be this political savior for them, and that's just not who Jesus was there to be. Jesus wasn't there to overthrow the Roman Empire. Jesus wasn't there to elevate them back and make them this powerful, powerful nation. Jesus was there to perform a very specific act of service that would reconcile the world, that would, that would fix the core problem in all of us. He was going to fix sin and to, and to make a point of, I'm going to do these amazing, flashy shows of, you know, wonder. And you have to imagine, because he immediately starts alluding to looking to the sky for things to interpret, that they're expecting, you know, some sort of Elijah-like moment where he's going to call down fire from heaven. You know, something, something that is inescapable, something that you can't miss. And Jesus is saying, that's not the purpose for my being here. That's not why I'm here. I'm not here to, to draw all these people to myself so that they can make me this political savior. Because if I become your political savior, I'm not going to save you from your sin. That would be missing the point. And so Jesus challenges them, right? Look at this interaction. He says, you can, lo you, you can look to the sky and know what the weather is going to be like, but yet... You can't look and see these things that I've done. You can't read in Scripture what it says the Messiah is going to be. See me performing and fulfilling all of these things that the prophets have been um, speaking of for thousands of years. You can't see those things and also recognize this is me. This is who I am. I am the fulfillment of these things. He says... You can interpret the web like they didn't have. They didn't have Channel Eleven. Is it Channel Eleven who has the really, really excitable weather guy? No, or is it Channel Five? 
There's one, there's one local news channel. I can't remember what his name is. He's the, guy, he's the little skinny guy with the thick-rimmed glasses. He is so excited about weather. Like, watch it sometime. He is thrilled to tell you whether or not it's going to rain tomorrow. He is so excited. They don't have that. And what he's saying is, you guys are attuned enough to understand just by looking at the color of the sky. And he's using these kind of um, general understandings of what the weather would behave like. He's saying, you guys can understand what the weather's going to be like tomorrow, but you've had these books and, these, and these, these scriptures written for thousands of years that you've been studying, and you say you've made such a huge part of your life, and yet you cannot figure out that I am who, I, who they say I am. This isn't the first time in scripture where we've seen this idea of, you can see it in creation that God is who he says he is. I don't have it up on the screen, but, but Psalm 19, I'll just, this is verse 1. It says, the heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims his handiwork. And the rest of that passage, if you go read it, is just this perfect description of God saying, look, I've laid it all out just in the way I designed everything. The fact that, the fact that I have plants that give you air that need the air you breathe out to keep them alive so that they can give you new air. Like, that doesn't just happen, right? The fact that our temperature stays relatively similar as we spin at however many miles an hour through space and we don't die, that doesn't just happen. There's no accident that that happened. And what, and what God is saying in Psalm 19 is, the fact that you see that all of this works the fact that the sun comes up and goes down and, and it and allows the, the, the earth to cool and then warm you back up and, and these sorts of things, the fact that you see all of these things is enough information for you to know that I exist and it's enough for you to be held accountable for the fact that I am real. You cannot, you can't, we cannot say, oh, uh, that this people group has no knowledge of God, so therefore God's not going to judge them for their sin. That's just simply not the case. I remember, I remember it's, in, it's in the book Radical. If you haven't read Radical, it's there. And you need to read it because you won't be the same person once you've read Radical. Uh, it's by David Platt. If you need a copy and you're like, I am unwilling to pay for it, we will get you a copy. I do not, I do not care to spend money for you to read this book. Because one of the points that he makes is, so much of what we assume about people groups is that this people group hasn't been reached. And if they haven't been reached, then God's not going to hold them accountable for their sin. God will still figure out a way to let them into heaven even though they haven't been reached. But if that, and the point that he makes is if that was the case, then the meanest thing that we could do was take the gospel to an unreached people group because now they're going to be held accountable for it. But yet the Bible says, go to the world and reach all the nations, right? They, they have this understanding that God must be there just based on their understanding that creation works. And this is the point that Jesus is making. You see all of these signs around you. You don't need a sign from me. Creation is enough. The sun rises, the sun sets, God exists. And you can be held accountable for that knowledge whether or not I show you anything else. That's what Jesus is saying. He says, you don't get another flashy sign. You don't get another huge show of my power. Again, kind of confirming that Jesus is saying, I'm stepping away from this really big public part of my ministry and I'm going to start focusing in on these guys. 
But he say, you don't get to see that. The next sign you get from me is the sign of Jonah. And what does he mean by the sign of Jonah? Well, if you're, if you're familiar with the story of Jonah, Jonah was told, hey, you're going to go preach this message of judgment against the Ninevites. And Jonah's like, I don't want to do that. If I go preach it, then they might be saved and you won't destroy them. Really logical, I know. But so he says, I'm going to go the other way. And God says, no, um, you're going to go preach to the Ninevites. And so uh, he has this really big fish and there's a whole set of circumstances by which he um, meets the fish. But he ends up in the fish. And for three days, he's, he's, he's essentially dead. He's, he's trapped in the belly of this fish, and he's essentially non-existent until this fish vomits him up on the beach right near Nineveh, right? And so what Jesus is saying is, just like Jonah was in a sense dead for three days, and then after three days he comes back and brings salvation to a group of people, the next sign that you get from me is going to be my resurrection. You're going to kill me, but I'm going to come back. And as I come back, I'm bringing salvation with me. That's the next sign that you get from me. That's what he's saying to the Pharisees. You don't get anything else from me until I'm done with my work. Until all that I am here to accomplish has been completed. And that's going to be a pretty amazing sign. And so now, like I said, he's going to start to focus in on his guys. And so they, they get in a boat, or they start walking, they start traveling. And, and while they're going, the disciples start to realize, oh man, were you the one that was supposed to get food, or was I supposed to get the food? Right? You've had this conversation. Were you supposed to do this, or was I supposed to do this? No, you were supposed to do this, but I thought you were supposed to do this. How are we going to eat? Right? And they start freaking out that they don't have any bread, which is ironic, and Jesus is going to hold against them in just a second, because, because did he not just feed 4,000 people with seven loaves of bread? Obviously, Jesus is capable of creating bread. Something that, again, just to kind of make that connection, Satan understood as well when he said, when he was tempting him, hey, you could just make some bread. Jesus is like, yeah, I could, but I'm not going to. Right? So, so this is actually something that Jesus is capable of accomplishing, And so, and so Jesus, it says, he knew what they were talking about. He heard that they were talking about bread. And honestly, I think the reason he goes in this direction for his metaphor is purely because they're talking about bread. I've got a metaphor about bread that will teach them a lesson based on this interaction that we've just had with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And so he says, beware the leaven of the, of the Pharisees. And they're like, man. He's really locked in on this bread thing. One of us really messed this whole thing up. Man, is he mad that we don't have bread? Is he mad that we forgot the food? And he's like, okay. So, so like the whole, they say the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and over again and expecting a different result. I'm not saying, I'm really not saying that Jesus was insane, but I am saying as the parent of, of like, a small human, that sometimes when you're expecting them to get something that you've taught them before, you start to feel a little insane, right? There have been many a day when my wife has said, just drop me off at Woodridge on the way home. I need some therapy, and then come get me later. Because it's like, I've tried explaining this, and she still doesn't fully understand. And that's what it's like dealing with little people sometimes. 
But that's also what I think Jesus has to feel like dealing with us sometimes. It's obvious the way that some of his interactions with the disciples go. When he's like, beware the leaven of the, of the Pharisees. And they're like, oh man, he's mad because we don't have bread. He's like, guys, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm not, obviously I don't worry about bread. Weren't you just there like two days ago when I fed like 10,000 people with seven loaves of bread? And weren't you there like two weeks ago when I did the same thing for like 20,000 people with like 12 loaves of bread? Bread is not a problem here. I'm obviously not talking about bread. I'm talking about something completely different. He's saying, guys, you need to have a bigger mindset about this. And this is something that I think we need to develop. We need to develop a constant kingdom mindset. They were so focused on the literal small thing right in front of them that they couldn't see the bigger point that Jesus was trying to make. They, they so easily got distracted by this little problem in front of them, this little thing that maybe they forgot, this little thing that they needed to take care of, that they missed the big picture that Jesus was saying, you need to be understanding what's really at stake here, what's really going on around you, what the battle that we're facing is really like. But too often, we will get distracted by the fact that somebody forgot to buy lunch. We'll get distracted by the fact that, oh man, there's this one little problem coming up at work or at school or I have this really uncomfortable meeting I have to have with this person or, man, I don't really get along well with this person and I have to interact with them this week. And we'll get so bogged down by, I'm not sure that I know what I'm going to do. And Jesus is like, there's so much more going on around you. You need to have this bigger picture of what's actually at stake. And you need to be thinking more of how is this moment in my life impacting the kingdom of God? How am I helping to grow and develop the kingdom of God? Or am I just kind of sitting back and, and, and worrying about the small little things that are happening in my life? Like me, last, last week, I'm sitting here worrying. I don't have a really well-developed set of notes for this sermon. I don't know that God's going to be able to help me get through this. And he's like, no, you need to realize that sometimes I don't give you all this inspiration so that you can attribute all of what's said to me and not to your ability to plan. Because if I have this really well-defined set of notes, I think God knows sometimes I'm going to be like, man, I prepped a good sermon this week. Didn't I do a good job delivering these notes that I came up with? And I think there's a lot of times he's like, I'm not going to give you any inspiration because I want you to be like, that was totally God. There is no way that I came up with any of what I just said. We need to have a bigger picture mindset of what, how the kingdom is being impacted by these individual small moments, these little road, roadblocks that we sometimes, we sometimes run up against. Jesus was bringing up bread and leaven to make a bigger point. He was trying, and I'll, I'll give you the point, and then I have something that I'm going to show you so that I can help lock this in for you. So he's trying to make this point that if you let this, this leavening agent into you, and it's something bad, it's going to grow and it's going to overtake you. It's going to be more than you can handle. Okay? If you don't know what leaven is, it's a thing that you put in bread that makes it, you know, expand and grow. 
If you don't know what happens if you put too much leaven in something, I have a perfect example for you. That is so much better than reality TV. <laughs> I hate that that sound wasn't perfect, but if you Google I Love Lucy baking bread, you can find the clip and you can watch it with better audio. Do you get the point that Jesus was trying to make in that clip from I Love Lucy? That, that if you get too much of something in you, it's just going to overtake you and it's become more than you can handle? Like, that's the point that Jesus is trying to say about the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees to his people. He's trying to say that like a leavening agent, bad teaching can get in us and grow and just take over. Right? If we, if we, if we, if we lock in or worry too much about, about these, these, these wrong things that are being taught to us, or if we, we submit ourselves to to unbiblical teaching, if we put ourselves under the authority of somebody who, who is misrepresenting the truth of the gospel, that's going to grow and it's going to take over and it's going to define everything about who we are and it's going to completely break us. And this is what he's trying to warn them. That being said, he's used an example much like this before. Back in chapter 13, Jesus made a more positive version of this where he said, you know, the kingdom of God, the, the message of the truth of the gospel is also like a leavening agent. If you get that in you, it can take over and grow as well. And that's what we're looking for, right? We want the gospel to get in us and saturate us and take over and grow. Jesus is preparing his disciples for gospel ministry, and he wants them to be aware of what really is at stake, the negative influence from these false teachers that are around them. Right? Obviously, they're still getting themselves too easily locked in on the small problems. We don't have enough bread, or how are we going to eat, and these sorts of things. He's saying, guys, so much more important is the fact that you need to be aware of what the truth of the gospel is, and you need to be saturated in that, and, and trying to guard yourself against bad teaching. Guard yourself against being overtaken by, by a false version of the gospel, by a version where you're trying to find somebody who can perform miraculous signs and find somebody who can do big, amazing, flashy things or maybe even overthrow a government so that you can be, you can be elevated, you can be strong, so that you can be comfortable. And that's, that's not the point. And I think it's still an important thing for us today, that we need to be aware that, that whatever it is that we're putting into ourselves is going to take root and grow and begin to define who we are and the things we say and the things we do. So if we really do want to be true gospel ministers, right? People who are taking this message that Jesus had, the truth that he has come and that he has completed his mission, he has died, he has risen from the dead. If we're going to be those people we have to fill ourselves with the truth of the gospel and not fill ourselves with some false truth. We have to not become distracted by the small problems in front of us and say, there is no way that God can deal with this. I have to figure out a solution because he keeps saying, no, I've got this. I'm in control. I'm taking care of this. We just sang it right before I got up here. I've been here since the beginning. I created all of this. I'm going to be here the whole time. Start to finish, beginning to end. I'm not leaving. 
I'm not giving up control. I am here, and I've got this. And if we can understand that there's a bigger battle in, at, at play and that he is in charge and he's going to oversee it, we don't worry about the little things, the how am I going to eat, how am I going to make sure that I'm taking care of this thing or that thing, or how am I going to make sure that I'm able to be comfortable, or how am I going to have this or that. We don't, we don't worry about those things anymore because we know that, that he's in control, he's sovereign, he's got this. And then as, as we begin to believe that more and more, that's when the truth of the gospel really does start to grow and resonate and kind of work through us and just start to naturally just kind of erupt out of us wherever it is that we're going. Let's go ahead and pray. So God, I pray that that would be true of us, that we would be so confident in your power and your authority and your ability to see us through that we wouldn't be afraid, we wouldn't worry about what happens next, that we wouldn't be worried about where we're going to get the next meal or where we're going to get the next paycheck. We wouldn't be defined by those things, but that we would be defined by the fact that we trust that, that you've got this, you're in charge that we would be confident in you. God, keep us focused on the big picture of what's really going on, what's really at stake. God, we can so easily get distracted or bogged down or, or miss the point of what it is that you're teaching. And it seems like over and over and over again, you have to keep constantly reminding us, I got this, I got this, I got this. It's okay, I've got this. God, I just pray that you would resonate that truth, that you are in charge, that you are, you are taking care of us, that we have no reason to worry, we have no reason to be afraid. Make that, that truth come alive in us. God, cause us to desire to fill ourselves with the truth of your gospel and fight back against the bad things that could get inside, the bad teaching or the bad truth, bad mindset, whatever it may be that, would, that could come in and overtake us and, and, and distract us from the truth of your gospel or even become what we're defined by. So guard us against that. God, fill us with hope that we know that you already have accomplished that last great sign that you said you were going to give us. The sign that you, though you were going to die, you were going to come back. And as you were going to come back, you were going to bring salvation. So God, I thank you for your sacrifice for us. And God, I just pray that that truth, that act, your, your sacrificial death for us, would impact every single person in this room. God, not all of us have a heart that fully understands and comprehends what it is that you've accomplished. We don't really see yet what it really means. 
Right? The Pharisees, they couldn't see the truth behind what Jesus had already performed. They couldn't, they couldn't see and understand the signs. But, but God, we've already seen that you're capable of giving the blind sight. You can open eyes. You can give us the ability to see and understand. So God, I just pray that for those of us in this room who aren't really seeing, who aren't really understanding, who don't really get it yet, that you would open eyes to see the truth of the gospel, to give them a new heart that loves you and desires to know you more and wants to, to be closer to you. God, just work that miracle this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.